0: Luke chapter 17, we're going to look at uh, the 10 lepers. Um, we probably know the story, but uh, I thought it would be helpful just to be reminded again of, of uh, what Jesus um, says here and, and just reflecting on uh, his healing. And so we're going to turn over to chapter 17, and Jesus is on his way to, uh, to Jerusalem. It's his last two weeks before he dies. Uh, his focus is on going to Jerusalem to die. Uh, on the cross uh, as our, our substitute, as our Savior. And on his way, he will come and he's going to meet these 10 uh, desperate individuals. And uh, we're going li- to see how he deals with them and, and what uh, he says about their response. And so uh, notice in verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, section of Scripture. And Lord, a reminder to us of uh, really the very essence of what Thanksgiving is. uh, That in the midst of everything that we, uh, Father, not forget... Uh, the real reason uh, that we bring our thanks and our praise to you. And so, Lord, we would ask for your Holy Spirit to come and to anoint and to, uh, Father, anoint our hearts and our minds to give us, uh, Father, a deeper appreciation of what it means to live with gratitude and thanksgiving in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, as you celebrate Christmas, I know that we all have traditions, right? And, uh, and of course, uh, one of those traditions is that we have a, a turkey. Uh, and uh, I still remember, you know, as a child that that was one of the days, that I, of all the days I look forward to. I look forward to Christmas, but but Thanksgiving was was just a good time, too, because I knew that there would be lots of turkey, lots of dressing, um, and all the fixings, I mean... You know, you start, and I don't want to talk too much about them because then we we'll want to break and we want to go home and eat. So I can't, can't say too much, but, you know, the gravy and the mashed potatoes and, and then, you know, start all the other helpings and things that you just begin to, you know, I just love, mom had these, um, we called them pickled eggs, but I loved pickled eggs. Uh, in fact, I couldn't get enough of them. I don't know why, it's just strange, but it's just uh, pickled eggs. Just all these things that you just enjoy. And so I think those traditions are wonderful traditions. But in the midst of the tradition, things, all of a sudden, we forget the reason often for the whole point. It's just like Christmas. Sometimes we celebrate Christmas and all the activity. We forget what the purpose of Christmas is. Well, certainly we often forget what the purpose of Thanksgiving is all about. And that it ultimately really is a picture of what our whole life should be like. And that's really not... not that we would have turkey every day, of course. But, but the fact that we should have, we'll live with more gratitude and thanksgiving to God. Because that certainly is the picture that Jesus presents here for us in this particular miracle. And it is a miracle, obviously. Uh, but uh, in 1636, uh, there was a 30-year war in Germany. And uh, in that uh, particular war, uh, there was a man who was a pastor, Martin Reinkert. And he was also, he wrote a hymn. And uh, But in that single year, uh, uh, he buried something like 5,000 people in his parish. Uh, he had something like uh, 15 funerals a day. Can you imagine now, you know, you start a year out and you're thinking, okay, Fifteen funerals a day. Now, I've not done, I mean, in my ministry, I don't think I've done more than 50 or so. Maybe maybe more. I, you know, I don't remember all of them. But, but here he's, he's got 15 a day and, he's, and, and there's all these people dying. And he wanted to remind the town and to his people and his children. He wrote a hymn so that he would, with that hymn, remind them of how thankful we need to be for even God's mercies in the midst of suffering. And he wrote, now thank we all our God, with hearts and hands and voices. Uh, and, and, it, and it hit me as I, as I thought about that, is that would I be, have a heart full enough of God's praise to be able to write a hymn like that, given all the suffering that he was going through. I mean, as a pastor, I don't, I, you can't, you can't do a funeral unless, I mean, truly, I mean, without being affected, the, the, you know, having some empathy, but also the sadness, the, you know, you, you see death constantly, Um, you know, and as a pastor, one of the things, I hate death. I mean, if you've experienced losing a loved one, you hate death. You also know the one who has the power over death, but you still hate it. It's not like, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to heaven. Well, that's true, and it's wonderful, and it's glorious, and it's awesome, but we still have sadness. We, we feel lost. We, uh, our whole lives get turned around and, and all those things, and yet to be able to write that hymn to me, is, it's almost, uh, I mean, it's obviously that's supernatural, right, that he would be able to do that, that God would grant him that kind of an insight and uh, ability to to see the sunshine in the midst of all the gloom uh, in that 30 years war. I mean, that uh, took place that brought all kinds of disaster as a result. And so that's what we look at as we come to this particular miracle. And Jesus is uh, going to Jerusalem. Now you think about it, he's traveling from Galilee and he's going down to Jerusalem. And he's going, uh, there's Samaria and there's, uh, he's getting ready to enter a town, and as he does that, he hears these voices, and they're screaming out, you know, Jesus, son, you know, son of God. Uh, how do they go? He says, notice how they said, they're, standing, they're lifting up, they're Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So they had heard somewhere along the line, they've heard that Jesus was able to heal people. I mean, we know in Luke 5, when the member of the leper was there, Jesus reached out and touched the leper. By the way, Jesus didn't get any leprosy from that. <laughs> he, he actually healed the man. And they had heard of all the miracles that Jesus had done, apparently, because... Uh, but these men stand... Notice where they're standing. It says that as Jesus passed by, they stood at a distance and lifted up their voices. Now, I think it's very significant there that they're standing at a distance, isn't it? That they, they, you know, because you you remember that if a person had leprosy, they basically were outcasts. They, I mean, you could think of, uh, I I think of it as the Walking Dead. You were cut off from your family. You were cut cut off from all the festivities. Think about it. You wouldn't be able to celebrate a Thanksgiving. Of course, they didn't celebrate Thanksgiving, but they did have a lot of feasts. You couldn't hug your kids. You couldn't come into town. You couldn't go to worship. You were basically bound. You, most of the time you lived outside the city and oftentimes uh, in places like the desert just because no one, no one wanted to have anything to do with you. Because you have leprosy. That was contagious and no one wanted to be anywhere near you. You were totally an outcast. You, your life was pretty much doomed. It, that's the, probably the most desperate condition you can see. Uh, at that time, it was probably, I mean, of all the things that you could have, leprosy would be, the, would be a picture of total despair. Not, in other words, living life day to day with the pain of losing limbs obviously, limbs falling off, fingers, toes, uh, getting cut, not feeling it. Uh, All of those things were all a part of of that isolation that they would would go through. So Luke's thrust here, however, is not so much to focus on the fact that these men had leprosy, although they, they did, and not so much to focus on the miracle, although it was a miracle. But what he also is trying to tell us is who Jesus is. You know, not to forget that, that Jesus is the only hope that these men have of ever getting well. And so Jesus is healing, will heal these 10 lepers. They're, they're, they're the, the whole focus of his miracle here. It, it was, was partly the miracles were intended. And, and sometimes as we read the miracles, we think, wow, you know, that's great. Jesus does miracles. But the miracles were to point to the fact that Jesus is God. We, we, we've sometimes mentioned John the Baptist says, I, it, Are you really the Messiah? And Jesus says, He says, Well, the, you know, the, the crippled are healed, the blind receive their sight, and what else? And the lepers are healed. <laughs> it was a picture of the Messiah coming and uh, delivering uh, God's people, not just from the physical disease of leprosy, but from the leprosy of the heart. You know, one of the pictures of sin in the Old Testament and New Testament was leprosy was not, just a, the, was not just outside, the leprosy of sin, the, the effects of sin, that there is no cure for leprosy in the Old Testament. There was, there was no cure, but there's also no cure outside of Jesus for the leprosy of sin. And sometimes we think, well, you know, uh, uh, well, you know, the Bible... These wonderful examples of Jesus and his life and all the things he did. But, you know, the focus really is that Jesus came for one main purpose, is that we were dead in sins and we need delivered. And and there's no hope for us outside of Jesus Christ. We've lost something of that because I think even like, I I know when I start complaining, you know what I'm usually thinking about? Woe is me. I deserve better. And as once you fall into that pit, I mean, it's hard to crawl out of that, isn't it? Man, I don't like, honey, we're having leftovers. Oh, I hate leftovers. Uh, Honey, we're going shopping. Oh, I hate shopping. And everything just becomes negative. And you just, it's just, I deserve better. You know, I don't want to have to have anything to interrupt what I want to do. And that's a part of the sinful condition of man, isn't it? We we tend to have this all-consuming focus on ourselves, but but the thing that we see here is that they, these men are desperate, and the one thing that Jesus hears and God hears that you and I need to be reminded of is that He hears two words, doesn't He? It is two words, by the way. I think <laughs> have mercy. <laughs> Isn't that amazing that if you read Scripture, everywhere those individuals in Scripture and Gospels, wherever it is, when they cry out, have mercy, guess what? God hears. Why is that? In other words, have pity. That's what you're saying. Have mercy is I am, I am, I'm at the bottom of the barrel. Have mercy. What was the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 51? Remember, Nathan comes to me. You are the man. You are the one that's responsible for that sin. You're the one who's caused this nation to be in the condition it's in. You're the person who has uh, abandoned his his loyalty to his own wives and 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 also killed a man, right? What does David do? When David realizes after a year that he's done all this terrible things, he says, have mercy, oh God. (laughs) You know... That's not a bad prayer for any of us as Christians to be praying, even on a regular basis, right? You know, I mean, I I found myself in in those moments when I had no answers for anything. Rather than saying, Lord, you know, I think I deserve better. When those moments when I've actually had God, by his grace, has humbled me to say, Lord, just have mercy on me. Because I have no idea what I need to do at this moment. It's not, that's, really, that's, that's really the first glimpse of hope here, right? And all 10 of these men realized that Jesus had an answer that no one else had. And they're crying out, have mercy on me, O God. And if you look through that Luke and even Matthew, that, that every time you see Jesus coming into some place where there was a lot of uh, gloom and doom, you hear people praying, have mercy on me. Remember the Syrophoenician lady whose, whose child was, was sick and so forth? She said, have mercy. And you, and you see the blind men, have mercy upon us, O God. Blind Bartimaeus, have mercy on us, O son of David. And, and everybody's saying, shut up, shut up. And he says, no, have mercy. <laughs> and Jesus stops, it says, when he heard that. And he healed the blind man. Maybe we should learn even the fact that, I mean, think about it. the Old Testament says God's a God that is a God of mercy and he's bounteous and he's uh, everlasting in the way that he gives mercy. Mercy is kind of the heart of God. It's his bounty. Uh, he never turns away a prayer for mercy. And when I've been into those, you know, when you run into those situations in, in life when you just, you, you don't have answers. And I could, I could probably ask everyone here this morning, and I, a lot that aren't, that when you run out of answers, what is it? You cry. Lord, just have mercy. I have no idea. Have mercy for my family. Have mercy for my kids. Have mercy for this community. Have mercy for our church. Have mercy for me because I don't, you know. You know. In other words, I have no ability to raise the dead. Only God can raise the dead. Only God can change. I mean, Lord, have mercy on us as a nation because our politics can't save us. No matter how good our politics are, that's not the answer. Our environmental change, you know, you know people are, well, it's the environment, you know. And they're talking about, you know, uh, you, know, the, you know, the fact that global warming, you know. Talk to people in Buffalo right now. Six foot of snow. Uh, you know uh, that that's our problem. You know, and we just keep running for answers. But guess what? We need to run to God and say, "Have mercy upon us, oh God, for this nation, for our communities, for the disaster that man has caused." Because guess what? If there's no sin, guess what? There's no suffering. There's no death, and there's no disease. Now, there's coming a day that's going to happen. But why do we have it? It's because of sin. It's not because that, you know, we don't have, you know, intellectuals and important people and even the rich and the famous and so forth and so on telling us all the things that we need to do in order to fix it. But the one thing they won't answer is what? They won't tell you, maybe we should cry out to God, have mercy. Have mercy upon us. Now, what's amazing about this is how does Jesus answer the question? You know what I mean, when I read this, I've read, I read this, and I read this, and I go, "Why did Jesus give them this unusual command? What's the command? He doesn't just immediately heal them, does he? Go show yourself to the priest, and you're going like, I don't understand that. What? I mean, the priest. We know the priest could only do one thing; they could only pronounce a person unclean. They knew that Leviticus 13 and 14, if you, you, know, if you have time later today, go there and look, read. But all they could do is they could go and look at what you had on your skin, and they could determine whether that was leprosy or not, or you were unclean. But they couldn't heal you. They couldn't do anything to fix the situation. They couldn't make you feel more comfortable in your, your misery. All they could say is, you're unclean. In fact, get out of here. <laughs> you know, you know don't, don't, don't come near me. And, and not only that, you need every time you meet somebody that's, that's clean, you need to say, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Can you imagine living a life like that? Don't come near. I'm unclean. It's just interesting because these men, the reason they are lepers and the reason they are living outside the city is why? Because the priest has already declared them unclean. (laughs) So why are they going to the priest? Now, they're, they're going to the priest. Jesus knows they're going to the priest for one reason, so that the priest could declare them unclean, right? But maybe part of the reason that he's telling them to go, go to the law... Go to the Old Testament law, go to the to the ceremonial law, and guess what? You're not going to get fixed. They can't save you. But isn't that a lot of times people say uh, you'll tell people about how they need Jesus Christ, and they say, "Well, you know, I'm not that bad." I do some good things now and then, right? And, you know, I don't rob banks. Uh, I don't steal from people. And they'll go on a list of things. But what does the law do? When God sends us to the law, the law condemns us, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Now they're under the law. That So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Verse 20 of Romans 3. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So, so God, sends, God says, okay, uh, you know, you start feeling bad about your sin and you go to the law. Guess what? There's no, there's no remedy in the law. All the law can do is show you your sin. And you said, well, then why did Jesus do that? Well, because the law also, by doing that, tells us the only remedy is Jesus, right? So as they're going, can you imagine, now they're going along, there's 10 of them. One's a Samaritan. They're going along on the road, and all of a sudden, their limbs start, whoa, wow, my hand, I just got off, that finger just popped on there. (laughs) And all of a sudden, their skin, wow, man, your skin just cleared up. You don't have all those warts and wrinkles and all that stuff on there. And they're all like, whoa. And they're just b- beside themselves thinking, I've just been healed. And they're just all excited and they're, they're exuberant and they're just, they're, they're just like beside themselves. And the one man looks at it and he's going like, yeah, I get it too. And he's the Samaritan. He says, we should go back to Jesus and say, thank you. Oh, no, no, we're too busy. We gotta go to the, we gotta go and see the priest. And plus, I want to go see my family. I've got, I've got celebrations I want to do. There's all these things I want to do now. I don't have time to go back and thank Jesus. But but we need to. Now you go ahead. You go ahead. We're going, we're going to the priest. One man. Only one man came back to say thank you. See, I believe that this is really, really. I think even more important is that so we could have healing faith and still be unsaved. Isn't that amazing? Nine of those men, they got healed, but they're not believers. Isn't that amazing? You know, we pray for people to be healed. That doesn't mean that they're saved, right? I pray for people who are unsaved all the time for their healing, But they didn't, but that healing didn't go deep enough. But for this man, it did. In fact, it says, notice that it says, when he saw them, he said to them, go. And he says, show yourself to the priest. And then, notice, and they went and they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. So here, so all of a sudden you hear, these men are going, hey man, let's go home and let's celebrate. But the one man says, no, I've got to go back. And he starts praising God with his loud voice. And he falls where? On his face at the feet of Jesus. Isn't it amazing? They were standing at a distance. And now what? The one man realizes that Jesus Christ is truly, not only does he have the power to heal him, but the power to give him a new heart. And he's praising God. I mean, think about it. So what, what happens when gratitude and faith are joined together? It produces something. It produces worship. Where's he at? There's no more distance between Jesus and this man anymore. You know, that's the beauty of our salvation is that 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 when when God, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died on the cross for our sin. And when God when God bridges the gap that our sin created between God and man, guess what happens? And it says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. What's it say? It says that it says that we have a high priest that says, draw near in prayer and with thanksgiving. So, so God, so here we're at a distance and God's drawing us near. Isn't that amazing? And that, that, that there's no more distance. See, in the Old Testament law, guess what? I mean, for this Samaritan, he could never go near a temple anyway. Unless he was a proselyte. But we don't know that he was, but he would not even be able to enter the temple courts anywhere because Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. And in fact, the people that actually were able to go to the temple, they were just out in the courts. They could never get near God because only the high priest once a year could go into the holies of holies. And so what does Christ in his death do for us? He draws us near. That we have a high priest that we can go to who's full of mercy and grace, and he says, come near. I I want you close. It's almost like he's saying, I want you to sit in my lap. Okay, that's near, right? That's what a child does, right? A child wants to do one thing. And especially grandkids. They want, you, they want you to hug them and sit in the lap, right? That's what God wants for us as his children. No more distance. No more, no, no more of this, well, you know, um, you know, I like you, but just uh, I don't want to have anything to do with you. <laughs> you know, you had that thing where it's like, well, I like that person. I just don't want to have anything to do with them again. Um, and so here, here it is. You see, you see this beautiful picture of, of the gospel, really, I think, in the healing is actually, in other words, what Jesus is doing, he's giving for us a picture of what it means to have a relationship with God. In other words, that one thing that separated that man and those 10 men from God was the fact that they were outside of the covenant community. They were unclean. You know, Martin Lord Jones, uh, he's one of the favorite preachers I like, but he's, he's, he was probably the, probably the greatest preacher in the 20th century. But he was preaching uh, to some o- Oxford graduates, and they were uh, up-and-coming uh, intelligentsia that day. And he preaches a message, a, just a common gospel message. And, and so they interviewed him afterwards, and they said, uh, 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 Dr. Jones, uh, I... Um, can I ask you a question? You know, we're, we're really smart people here at Oxford, you know, and uh, very intelligent. And, uh, and it seems like the message that you preached, you could have just preached to common people like, you know, farmers and miners and so forth. And Darton little Lord John said, well, you're, you're correct. He says, but man's problem is not an intellectual problem. It's a sin problem. And the only thing that can cure a sin problem is the gospel. See, it's not intellectual, it's moral. And and the moral problem is that, guess what? All people, regardless of how smart they think they are, they all need the gospel. But see, we think, you know, wow, we're just a little country church, right? Or we're just a little city church, or we're just a little this. But guess what? All men, regardless of where they're from, regardless of race, nationality, whether, regardless of what genders they think they might be, We all need salvation, right? And the only way to obtain that is through one one person and through one way, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why he said that. And, And whether that was offensive to them or not, guess what he was saying? It's not a financial problem that we're having today. It is not a political problem that we're having today. It's a moral problem we're having today, right? It is a moral problem. And the only thing that could fix it is the gospel. I'm, you know, you know I'm not, not, I haven't lived that long. <laughs> I'm almost 70, so. <laughs> but the point is, is that there are, I've heard lots of people give me solutions about what's, what's wrong with this nation. But guess what? It always comes back to one thing. It comes back to the gospel and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And. I, and you can say that without shame or without even, you know, it's just like, look, this is, this is the only thing that's going to fix the problem. And see, what happens is that we forget that. And because when we forget that, then, then we're, you know, we, I think what we do is then we capitulate the gospel. We think, well, yeah, you know, if people are good and nice people. And you'll have that, well, Johnny's a really good boy. No, he's not. He's got a rotten heart. He needs saved, you know. He needs a new heart. We need new hearts. Anything that we do that God says is, 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 is of any value is because of what Christ has done. And so this man's saying, let's go back. And he's there at the feet of Jesus and the other guys are, uh, you know, they're, they're on their way. And I think that uh, one of the truths about salvation, I think, is given to us here. And I think it's, it's just one of, the, one of the things that is that one of the first signs of change in a person who is saved is thanksgiving. If you don't see gratitude, there's something wrong. How could you not? You've been rescued from the, from the damnation of hell. The wrath of God has been removed from you. was placed upon Christ to know that you can stand before God your judge if you died this moment in this pulpit right now to stand before God and he can say you are righteous because of the righteousness of Christ not yours John it's the righteousness of Christ you're justified by faith in his sacrifice it's not your performance it's not you know, how many messages did you preach? Well, you know, it wasn't, you know, was it a good message? Did you put enough time into this message? Did you pray enough for this message? Did you, you know, think about it. I, and I think that that's one of the truths that he's teaching. Here's that, in other words, look, thanksgiving is one of the evidences of a person being saved. Um, and, and this man, the first thing he does is return Thanks. And so you see, what is it? Faith is always aco- is accompanied by gratitude, and gratitude is always accompanied by faith. It kind of it kind of it kind of shoots a hole in my shoe, because <laughs> what happens is that boy, when I get in a griping mode and stop counting the blessings of the gospel, think about it. When I miss that, then I'm I'm missing missing the joy that God wants me to have in my salvation. I I remember Jack Miller in uh, his uh, sonship course, which I took. He says... um, he pointed out that during his ministry in Uganda, that he said, as people were getting saved and, uh, during this, this revival, which has been going on for a while, he said, as people were getting saved, he said, there was these loud cries. He said, some of the sins that were so terrible and awful were, were coming out from people's lips. But he says, but there was this chorus of praise and thanksgiving to God for the forgiveness that God had, Christ had given them through uh, his son. And that the praise overwhelmed all the, all the repentance that was happening, that there was this tears of repentance and there was this confession of sin, but there was this glorious praise and thanksgiving to God for what God had done in delivering them. And and that's one of the pictures, I think, of salvation is, Lord, uh, what did David pray? Once David prayed in Psalm 51 when he said, Have mercy on me, O God. What did he pray? Right, Probably like 10 or verse 10 or 11. I can't remember. He says, Restore to me what? The joy of my salvation I think a lot of Christians have lost the joy of their salvation I mean if I go wrong wrong, wrong. good day well I suck good about it you know just constantly mumbling about you know it's nothing there's nothing going you know there's something wrong Yeah, it's my schedule you know, I don't have enough time. I, you know, I I wish I, wished, I wished this would happen and that didn't happen. I wish I ran the lottery, win the lottery, and you know, why did they why did they win the lottery? They don't need the money. And you know, we could I mean, you could think about all the reasons we could be unthankful, right? And here's a guy who has nothing, saying, "Lord, thank you. You gave me the best gift that anyone could ever give: eternal life. And if you have eternal life, guess what? You have the pearl of great price." It's priceless. No one can take the pearl of great price from you. That's the gospel. You are trillionaires if there's such a thing. Well, I think you no, know, I don't know that there are. There's probably some people who have stolen enough money that they are trillionaires. Uh, uh they, they stole it from us. <laughs> but but so, so so here is one reason that we should celebrate Thanksgiving. But shouldn't it be that we celebrate a gospel thanksgiving and that we celebrate a gospel thanksgiving every day. Take some time this week, take some time every day of your life to say, Lord, I have so much to be thankful for. And you say, I know, but me and my wife aren't getting along. Well, just pray about it. Give God. Thanks for, for your marriage. Give God. Thanks for the, the difficulty, the struggles. Uh, well, You know, this is happening. Well, you know, I remember um, a trial that I was going through and it was very oppressive. I was, I would go and spend two hours just praying. And then I realized that I wasn't giving God thanks for the cause of the problem. Can you imagine this guy saying, when he comes to Jesus, he says, I thank God for my leprosy. Because my leprosy brought me to Jesus. Your trial, my trials, are to drive us closer to Christ, not away from him. And if that trial is, and we know all our trials are designed by God, are intended to drive us closer to Christ. I remember Johnny Erickson saying this in a conference in Tennessee when I was attending. And she says, and she was quoting Spurgeon. She says, let the waves and the the storms of life, let them drive you into the arms of Christ. That's God's goal. Even in a trial, you can say, thank God for the trial. <laughs> I mean, that's celebrating a gospel Thanksgiving, right? When you can actually thank God for your enemies, thank God for the struggles, thank God that even in that situation, you're not saying, you're not thanking God for the sin. You're thanking God for the trial that, it's, that God wants to produce something in that trial. And you're saying, but, but, but the problem is them. And God's saying, no, the problem is not always them. It's right here. I remember uh, one of my children was giving me a hard time, more than a hard time. But in reality, God was using that trial in his life to drive me closer to him so that I could understand what grace was all about. You know, it's, I, could, I knew it up here and I knew it in here. But guess what? I didn't know it the way I needed to know it. And it drove me to the feet of Jesus. You know, it caused me to weep, to see my sin in a light that I'd never seen it before. And God used that change in me to bring change in him. That was scary. (laughs) Because I realized, Lord, I'm praying that you change him. And you're saying, I want to change you first. Guess what? It made me a little more compassionate, a little more understanding, not so judgmental, not such self-righteous, you know? I'm a pastor. You shouldn't be doing this. (laughs) I didn't go very far. <laughs> We're celebra- so, so here's celebrating a gospel Thanksgiving is this. As you go to celebrate Thanksgiving this week, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. And to give him thanks, just, just, just the little things. Make, make it a time to ask the family, what are some things you're thankful for? Make it a time of saying, I wanted this to be a Thanksgiving celebration but a gospel celebration, a gospel Thanksgiving. See, the world has changed Thanksgiving Day, and they call it what? Turkey Day. Because they don't want what? The one thing that man doesn't want to do is, is to give thanks. The two great sins in, the, in Romans, chapter, chapter 1 says this, and they, it says they would not worship God as God, the creator. That's the first sin man does. And the second one is what? And they were unthankful in their hearts. And you say, is thankfulness a big issue? You can be sure it is. God saves us so that we would be thankful. And I pray that God will give us that kind of a Thanksgiving, not just this coming Thanksgiving, but every Thanksgiving. And actually that every day would be a Thanksgiving day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for this passage of scripture in Jesus' name. Amen.